Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We're in the home stretch of a historic bowl season in the Sun Belt. Arkansas State and South Alabama are set to become two of six Sunbelt teams participating in bowls from Alabama to Hawaii on Saturday. We're excited to talk about these matchups in just a moment. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about yesterday's episode. Kane and I broke down the Hawaii and Idaho Potatoes Bowl featuring Coastal Carolina and Georgia State, respectively. If you missed it, make sure you go back and give it a listen. Today on episode 165 of the show, we're excited to break down our final pairing of bowl games as we continue our bowl season preview series. We're discussing the Camellia and 68 Ventures Bowl on today's show. We'll break down each of the matchups. We'll talk about the top storylines ahead of the games. Plus, Arkansas State Center Jacob Bayer will join us shortly to talk about A-State showdown with Northern Illinois. Caden, these bowl games are going to feature two teams who endured drastically different years. South Alabama, they were a trendy New Year's Six pick, both of our picks to win the Sun Belt West this year. Arkansas State had just five wins total in the last two seasons. Now they're both in bowl games at 6-6. Six and six. What opportunity do these bowl games present these two programs? Definitely different opportunities to the teams that had the same exact seasons. You talk about South Alabama, if you would have told us heading into the season, they ended the year four and four in conference play and six and six. Overall, we had we would have been absolutely shocked. We wouldn't have believed you. And we would have been just as shocked if we told you that Arkansas State was going to do the same exact thing this year. So I think when I look at these, both of these teams and their opportunities in these bowl games, it's an opportunity for Arkansas State to end their season with an explanation point. I think when you look at what they were able to do this season, they have a ton to be proud of just given their improvement. And I think when you look at South Alabama, it's kind of an opportunity to put a final period on this season that is not what you expected. So I think obviously both of these teams are in different spots despite having very different records this year. And I think as far as Arkansas State goes, they're going to be fired up. They're going to be excited to try to get a winning record to end this season for them. And South Alabama, I kind of already feels like they've already had kind of a losing season of sorts just given their expectations. So it's an opportunity for them to kind of just put this season to bed try to get some of their younger players, hopefully some opportunities and create some momentum next year when they're going to have to go back to the drawing board, just given how many older players are going to now be exiting and exiting stage left for this program. Hey, if you're South Alabama, you'd love to cap off the year with a bull win here. First in program history, give you something good in your mouth, a good taste after how the season's gone in Arkansas state. Caden, you mentioned it. It's been a while since they've been in a bowl game. Butch Jones is slowly rebuilding this program. They'd love to put the exclamation point on top. Well, like we promised, Arkansas State's Jacob Bayer is here. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to hear from one of the league's top offensive linemen. Well, we're excited to be joined by Arkansas State center Jacob Bayer ahead of his team's bowl matchup. Jacob, thanks for making some time uh, in the midst of exam season to come on the Frarian Smith podcast. Thank you. I'm just glad to be here. Well, you are just the third offensive lineman ever on this program. Excited uh, to talk to you. We've actually had two on during bowl season. Had Old Dominion's Xavier Black on earlier in the bowl year. But, Jacob, you joined this team after two seasons at Lamar. Arkansas State has gone on to have their best season since 2019. That can't be a coincidence, right? Uh, yeah, definitely not. I think I've uh, had a little impact. Hey, well, in all seriousness, uh, you can't tell us how this team is different from last year. You weren't on this team, but... What were the vibes like for this team? Did it ever feel like a squad that had won just five combined games over the past two seasons? Uh, not really. I'd say, like, you could tell like, when I first got here, guys were hungry. Like, they just wanted to win so bad. And, you know, you kind of like – I mean, for me, it was new. It was still a new environment, so I didn't have that feeling of 
of guys that were really down. But I didn't feel I had to get that feeling from anybody else either. It was kind of like a, a thing if we're just going to go train and we have a whole new season. So why care about the last two seasons? For sure, Jacob. Like Noah mentioned, you're a guy who played two seasons at Lamar at the FCS level. You come into the Sun Belt and immediately establish yourself as one of the best offensive linemen in the league. You earned first team all-conference honors. What was that jump like? Was it an easy jump for you? And what did that honor mean to you to get first team all-conference recognition just given your journey to Arkansas State? Uh, it was a little different. I mean, you know, the facilities, the coaching, uh, the, way I, the way I was coached, um, kind of what was poured into me was a little different. Um, as far as players, I feel like it wasn't too hard of a transition. I had played FBS players before at FCS. Um, obviously, there's a little more depth and a little more technicality when things go into it. Uh, and then when I got first team, I was, you know, I was pretty excited. I was pretty happy. I knew my my mom and dad were gonna, you know, spam text me, you know, saying congratulations. But you know, I was pretty excited. Hey, that's what uh, we have mom and dads for uh, in those situations. Jacob, when you look at your game. From last year to this year, where do you feel like you had to grow the most? Uh, probably the biggest, like when it comes to just not playing, but leadership, the big thing, trying to trying to get around the same page um, across the line. I, you know, I, it was a responsibility put on me by the coach. Was that like, you know, you're responsible for the entire line. So if something doesn't, somebody doesn't know what's going on, or is doing something wrong. It's kind of your business to get it to get it handled. And I'd say the other thing is just playing with aggression. Playing smart is the biggest thing. I feel like my my knowledge of the game. And really understanding why we do things in the schemes is the biggest thing that's grown uh, since being here. Now, Jacob, we talked about your honors a moment ago, but you know, speaking of honors, your quarterback, Jalen Rayner, he takes home freshman of the year honors in the league this year after bursting onto the scene and having, you know, really what many have called an electric season. On the field, we know the two of you are very close given your positions, but tell us what makes him special and the impact he's been able to have on this team's success this year in his first collegiate season. Yeah, I'd say he's just really charismatic guy. I mean, everybody loves the dude. He's always smiling. I don't think I've ever seen the guy frown, really. But uh, he just keeps everybody up, and you think his guys believe in him. So when you get you get that kind of belief around one guy, and you really you pour into him just in just in what you believe in, and he kind of just gets stuff done. So it's kind of like the the backbone of our team almost because you know you can rely on him even when things aren't going the best. And there's no question he was a pleasant surprise this season and was great to watch y'all's offense operate with him under center but you are the center you touch the ball every single play you have one of the most unique jobs in football you're oftentimes the the quarterback of the offense with a lot of people who haven't played don't know about that when it comes to the front and the run the run blocking schemes and the protection and you talked about your knowledge growing of the game this season could you maybe tell our listeners what it takes to play the center position and what makes it unique as far as the physical and the mental challenge all coming together on Saturdays yeah the biggest thing like you said is the mental the mental part um you declare everything. I mean, every single lineman is kind of listening to what I have to say. And when it, does, it isn't said correctly or I'm not doing the right thing, then it messes up the entire little line. So and it just comes to, you know, ID and the right backer, setting up the right double teams. And if you mess it up, it's really all on me. But um, it like you might think it's another guy, but it might just be my fault not calling the right thing. So that's a big challenge for me is just having to constantly, like you can never be wrong. There's no, there's no mistake when it comes to, to what you're having to tell the other guys um, physically that, you know, it's kind of the, the same as the other line. I may have to be not as, I don't have to do as much hard stuff. I got two big guys right next to me, but uh, it's, you know, pretty challenging. Jacob, what's your favorite part of playing the center position? Is it those big pancake blocks, some, you know, run, you know, run blocking. What, what's your favorite part of the center position? 
Probably, yeah, definitely just inside run up right up the middle is my favorite. I don't like running around guys outside zone. I don't like pass pro. I just like getting to set up double teams. That's like my my favorite by far. Some good old-fashioned uh, smash mouth football. You guys have certainly been good at that this year. Jacob, let's talk about this season. The start obviously wasn't ideal, but then you guys rip off three straight wins before going 2-2 two and two in the month of November against four bowl-eligible teams. How did this team use some of those early season adversities as motivation to get to where you guys are today? Yeah, so the first game, obviously, everybody knows about that and how it just kind of felt. And, I mean, it was just like the whole week going – even going into Memphis, even though we didn't win the game, didn't perform our best – I mean, the practice style that we have was just completely different. The, like, just the pure effort we had during practice, not even when it comes to schemes, just knowing the knowledge of it and doing the right thing, just the pure effort we had um, when it came to running the ball, when it came to just finishing blocks. And I think it might not have carried over to Memphis. And then after the Memphis game, it really just stepped up even more. And that's when the, that three-game win streak came, and we kind of saw the fruits of our labor finally um, with how hard we were practicing. And, it, I mean, it, it did – you know, I still use it as motivation. I still see it sometimes on, on the Internet, and I still think about it, and I think it's just getting to prove all these guys wrong and that, you know, Arkansas State is somebody. Well, Jacob, we have to talk about the game y'all had this season that was the complete opposite of that Oklahoma game, the Texas State game. This team puts up 77 points. seems like y'all scored in every single way possible and secured eligibility in that game against Texas State. Could you tell us what that experience was like? And in your football career, have you ever witnessed anything like that? Uh, yeah, I've never been a part of a game like that. I mean, it was – I didn't even know what to believe. I don't think I – my face hurt so much from smiling. Like, during the second half, I got done. I couldn't – I couldn't really uh, keep a smile on anymore. But, yeah, it was – it was – I wouldn't say ridiculous, but it was – I mean, for me, it was just an amazing moment. Obviously, you said bowl eligibility, and then we ran the ball, and then I didn't – I don't think I touched the field but once during the second half. <laughs> so, everything – you know, everything just went so well. I couldn't have asked for a better game. Now, going into that game, obviously, you guys had you guys had put together your scheme. You guys were ready to go. Did, did you have the expectation that you guys were going to rip off that many rushing touchdowns? Uh, I, not really, but, you know, I don't want to say, yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm expecting it's going to be a hard-fought game, and, you know, it's going to be blow and blow. But that was – I don't think anybody could have really expected such a, such a dominant game. Yeah, definitely one of the best games in the Sun Belt all year. And honestly, after that game, we got one of the best press conference moments all year when Coach Jones steps up to the podium, admits that he had been wearing a bowl-bound shirt under his jacket for the entire game against Texas State, the game that you guys clinch bowl eligibility. Does that kind of epitomize the kind of coach leader in person that Butch Jones is? Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of trust in us. I feel like that. That uh, that trust that he thought we were gonna get it. So he's so confident that we were gonna. He's gonna put a pull shirt underneath and wear it the whole game, and he rips it off uh, during the post locker room, and everybody just erupts, <laughs> you know, because he kind of had a realization that he really just wore that, that shirt the entire game because he believed in us so much. Well, Jacob, before we get to our last question, we have to ask about the hairstyle. The mullet that you're rocking has been a signature look. Looks good on the field. Looks good off the field. How long have you been sporting the mullet, and how long do we expect to see it throughout your football career? Uh, it's been about a year and a half since I started wearing it. I started my sophomore year at, at Lamar and then it really, it got out of control here for back. I cut it about a week ago, just a little trim off the back, but it was, uh, it was insane. I, it looked, it was too much to handle almost. So I went to sports clips, got it cut. Um, and I'll finish, I'll finish it off the season. I feel like I'll, it's more of like a college thing. I'll, I'll wear it for college, have fun, be a kid. And then once a, Real life starts, I have to get a job. I'll, I'll cut it off and be a little more professional. 
Good stuff. Last thing, Jacob, your opponent is NIU for this Camellia Bowl matchup. What have you just seen from the Huskies defense on film and how do you think your offense is going to match up with them? Uh, I feel like we're going to do pretty well. Um, you know, coach, we just started really started doing install. Um, I think they said they have a top DN. They had three preseason all-conference guys. So, I mean, we know that they're a good team, obviously. Even if you're, you know, you're going to a bowl game, you have to be, you know, somewhat of a decent team. So, um, you know, I'm excited for it. I feel like we're going to have one more chance to, to put what we want on film going into next year and then just secure a bowl win. Well, Jacob, thank you for taking time to come on the Ferry and Smith podcast. Uh, we're certainly excited to watch you and your teammates play in the Camellia Bowl and, and wish you guys best of luck as you continue preparation and ultimately play in that game. Thank you so much. Man, Kane, we hadn't talked to many offensive linemen in the history of this podcast. We've had two in the last several episodes. This one was fun. Jacob Bayer has been a huge part of, of this resurgence for Arkansas State this season. Yeah, everything starts up front, Noah, with the offensive linemen. So it's right that we're giving them their due diligence and their respect during bowl season. And Bayer's a guy that deserves his respect, too. We talked about him being able to make such an impact for this team in his first season in the conference. The center position is an underrated, very, very important position in all of football and having that pair with Jalen Rayner right behind him and those two being able to run the show both up front and through the air was just amazing to see this season and it was cool to hear his perspective of the vibes of this team you would expect kind of less or worse vibes just given their recent history but the fact that they were able to kind of put that in the trash have new players like Bayer come in and inject some new life in this program along with a guy like Jalen Rayner just amazing to watch their season and amazing to hear from a guy who has some experience up front in those trenches. Well, Kane, it was a lot of fun here to hear how he spoke about Coach Jones as well. That moment wearing the bowl season, the confidence that his coach had in that team. Kane, if you were playing and a coach had done that, how, how would that have made you feel? That would have been awesome. That would have been a sick reaction and a reveal as far as something you didn't really know going into the game. Your coach is going to instill confidence in your team throughout the week, but putting your money where your mouth is physically and kind of betting on yourself literally with your wardrobe is definitely something that I'm sure would have gotten me and the boys fired up if we saw that after the game and at the press conference for sure. Well, Ken, let's talk about this Camellia Bowl that Arkansas State's going to play in. They come in 6-6 six and six facing a Northern Illinois team that was 6-6 six and six in the MAC this year. This game played at the famous Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama on December 23rd, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on ESPN. Kane, this represents the 13th bowl appearance in Arkansas State history. It's their first since 2019 after a streak of nine straight from 2012 to 2019. Third appearance all time in the Camellia Bowl, breaking a tie with several programs for the most Camellia Bowl program or appearances. They're facing a Northern Illinois team that they are just one in seven against all time. The last meeting actually taking place in 2012. Kate, and here's a blast from the past a 38 to 10 win at the GoDaddy.com Bowl. Uh, Danica Patrick, I think, was probably the mascot in that game. But much like Texas State, who we'll talk about on tomorrow's episode, this is an Arkansas State team that looked revitalized this year. They came in with just five combined wins in the last two seasons. They started poorly, but finished strong to secure a bowl bid. Kaden, we've heard for the last two seasons that strong recruiting classes were eventually going to pay dividends and lead to increased win totals. And this year, Butch Jones delivered. Butch definitely delivered. And you have to give credit to Coach Jones for being able to turn this program around and have things finally trending in the right direction. You talk about a guy who has that SEC coaching pedigree and knows what it takes to turn things around at the highest level and what the highest level of football looks like. And the fact that he was able to preach patience to this team 
and this entire program and really be able to just slowly but surely get to the place they are today is great to see. You mentioned them only having five wins heading into the this season and the combined two seasons he's had previously. And when you looked at the first two seasons of the two games of this season, you thought it was going to be the same old song and dance. They gave up that embarrassing 73 to zero loss to Oklahoma, which Jacob mentioned kind of really stung and kind of sat with this team and still sits with this team. Then they follow it up against a Memphis team that they usually have good back and forth battles with historically. And they drop that game 37 to three. After that, they go on a three game winning streak. They look like a completely different team. And you have to give credit for him handing the keys of this car to a quarterback that we did not talk about at all in the off season. He took him, he took advantage of his opportunity. He led this team and you have to give credit to him too, building his team the right way with the quarterback. Now that's looking like is going to be your quarterback of the future. They did a great job up front with guys like Jacob Bayer. He wasn't their only all conference offensive lineman this year or defensive lineman this year. They were much improved up front. They were much improved at the quarterback position and they had a different swagger and morale about them this year. And you saw that week in and week out, even in the games they lost, they competed very well and they know this off season, what they have to fix. And they, now they know what they're capable and what their peak looks like, especially with that seven, 77-point performance against Texas State. So credit to Coach Jones for keeping this team motivated, keeping the vibes up despite them not having the greatest recent history. And as a result now, after this bowl game and moving forward, this team knows a little bit more what they're capable of. They feel a little bit more dangerous, and they will be more dangerous next year for sure. Now the battle certainly for Butch Jones, keeping some of these talented players on this roster. We know in the transfer portal area, people who have success, particularly early on in their careers, they're going to get talked about, and even more so at the quarterback position. I think keeping Jalen Rayner on this roster is a massive key for Butch Jones heading into next season. Caden, with that in mind, let's talk about what I think is the most interesting quarterback matchup in all of bowl season. You've got Jalen Rayner, who is the Sunbelt freshman of the year. He lit the league on fire, responsible for over 2,500 yards of offense, 20 total touchdowns. He's facing a guy whose name is Rocky Lombardi, Caden. It doesn't get much better than that in terms of names. Lombardi playing in his Seventh season of college football. He's only throwing 10 touchdowns this year and ran for six more. But Kane, here's why this is the most interesting quarterback matchup in all of bowl season. Jalen Rayner was 13 and a half years old when Lombardi made his collegiate debut. For me, this matchup is a microcosm of what's going on in college football. Kane, consider Noah Freire here for it. Great digging on the stat book department with you, Noah Ferry. That's just an amazing thing to learn heading into this matchup. I think before the Texas State game and Arkansas State game, we were calling that matchup the rookie versus the vet with Rainer facing TJ Finley. And Rocky Lombardi said, hold my beer. I'm a much older quarterback that's going to go against a guy who was probably in middle school when I made my collegiate debut. So definitely going to be a contrast of ages and experience in this matchup. But I think when you look at Jalen Rainer in the season, he's had one of the most impressive things about his game is the level of kind of experience he showed through his efficiency. This is a guy who had a fantastic quarterback rating, 149 as a freshman. That's amazing. He had two games this year where he completed over 80% of his passes, and he was really a smart decision maker from when he was first handed the keys of this offense and only got better at that throughout the season. We talk about the threat that he poses with his legs running for over 300 yards this year, five touchdowns on the ground as well to go with his amazing year through the air, taking home that freshman of the of the year award for this conference. And we heard about it from his center. His center said, this is a guy who brings a lot of energy to the table. He always has a smile on his face. And that just seems like such a refreshing thing that this team needed in the past. And you've looked at their past quarterbacks, like, like a James Blackman, who kind of had the physical tools and traits to get things done, but this offense wasn't able to help him out. I think you could look at the infectious energy that their quarterback has, the young life that he brings to this team. And 
see it permeate throughout his offense and see them all moving with a different level of confidence. But when it comes to Rocky Lombardi in this matchup, this uh, this defense for Arkansas State definitely isn't going to show him anything he hasn't seen before. This is a guy who started off his career at Michigan State, was a highly touted recruit, played three seasons there before thinking, taking things to NIU. But he hasn't really been super impressive with any of his statistics or anything he's been able to do. He's a guy who had 10 touchdown passes, five interceptions this year. That's kind of been his average throughout his career. He's going to give the ball up a little bit. He's going to score a little bit, and he's going to just be regular as far as his efficiency, completing about 50% of his passes on a yearly basis. So I look at this Arkansas State team, they have a great opportunity to put some great film together against a quarterback who may be experienced but doesn't really produce at a high clip as far as what he's capable of doing and hurting defenses with his leg or with his arm. So I think in this quarterback matchup, despite Rocky having the age upside in this matchup, I think when you look at what Jalen Rayner is able to do as a dual threat efficient at this point of his career and his infectious energy with his offense, I would give the nod to Rayner despite him being a little bit underage <laughs> given this matchup when you look at these two quarterbacks. Okay, and I think that's a great breakdown and really the only thing I can add to that. Jalen, if you're listening, just don't drink the beer since you're only 18 years old. But matchup to watch, Arkansas State's O-line versus Northern Illinois' pass rush. Kaden, we spoke with Jacob Bayer earlier in this episode, and one of the biggest areas of growth this year has been along that offensive line for Arkansas State. It's a a new look, a a fresh-looking Arkansas State offensive line this year. They're still, though, in the bottom half of the league in terms of sacks against. They gave up 30 in the regular season. They gave up 10 of those 30 in the final three games of the year. NIU comes in, 22 sacks on the season. Caden, if you're Arkansas State, how do you win the matchup up front in this game? Yeah, I mentioned it before. This is an offensive line that's been bolstered up and they have improved. It's not the most improved unit of their team by far when you look across the board and what they were able to do and attain their success this year. But when it comes to offensive line play in this game for this Arkansas State team, they just have to play assignment football and they have to really strain themselves when it comes to the run game, I think, in particular. We talked with Bayer about his ability to get everybody set up, everybody lined up. When you look at having this much preparation for a bowl game, they shouldn't be caught off guard by any kind of fronts they see. You might see a wrinkle or two from NIU, but when it comes to picking up picking up the run blocking schemes when it comes to picking up protection in the pass game. It's more of a mental thing than a physical thing. And I think when you look at this Arkansas State team, they improved throughout the season. They had some younger guys playing up front and really just kind of being a cohesive group as a whole is something that you kind of grow and mold into throughout the year. But I'm a little bit more worried about the run blocking in this game than the pass blocking. You look at this last matchup they had against Marshall to end the season, only rushed for 42 yards in that game. That extremely I heard this team extremely when you look at them losing that matchup and what they were able to do offensively. So I think for this Arkansas State team, the biggest key is going to be kind of like Jacob told us, that downhill run game in those A-gaps, being able to establish that identity early. And I think if they're able to establish the run at the line of scrimmage, it's just going to open things up for the entire offense as a whole. And that's when you see Rainer's going to have more time back there in the pocket and it's just going to make things easier for him. If they can run the ball effectively on those early first and second downs and get to more third and manageables, you're going to see the ball get out of his hands quicker. He gets himself in trouble a little bit with his legs as far as what he's able to do in evading pressure. But I think the better the run game is, and if he has that with him, the more you're, the more you're going to see this offensive line be successful in the pass game as well. And then ultimately, you'll see NIU not be able to be as aggressive or opportunistic in their pass rushing. They're going to be on their toes a little bit more. They're going to be worried about the different threats you have coming out of the backfield, whether that's Shockwest Cross, Cedric Hawkins. So I think looking in this matchup, if this offensive line can pick cohesively like they have down the stretch and kind of get the bad taste of that Marshall game out of their mouth and really establish the run in this game, I think it'll permeate to the rest of their offensive scheme and really do wonders against this NIU defense. 
Yeah, I think those are some great points. Ultimately, as an offensive lineman, all you can ask is that you don't have to defend a guy for three, four seconds. You'd love for your quarterback to either hand the ball off, get it out quickly. I think those are some great keys there for Arkansas State in this matchup. Okay, not time to name X-Factor players. I know you've got an offensive player in mind ahead of this matchup. Yeah, this is more of a vibes pick. This isn't Caden really going with looking at the stats or looking at the matchups or anything crazy. But when it comes to me picking my offensive X factor for this game, I'm going for Corey Rucker. We gave this guy a lot of hype in the offseason as a guy who was with the program previously, came from South Carolina back to Arkansas State and expected a big impact from him. He had a good year. He's second in this team in receptions and yards this year with 31 and 598. But he has yet to reach the touchdown or the end zone rather this season. No, this is a guy who hasn't touched the paint. This year, I think in this bowl game, they're going to try to get him some touches and get him in the end zone to break that curse that he had going throughout the whole season. And he had one of his stronger performances of the season to end the year with five receptions and 87 yards against Marshall. And hopefully they can continue to build on that in this bowl game. So it's more of a vibes pick. I think he has a lot of time and experience heading to this matchup as well, given this Arkansas State does Arkansas State team doesn't necessarily have that bowl game pedigree. This is a guy who's played in some big games, is familiar with this program, and should be able to dominate in this matchup against an NIU defense on the secondary that does play extremely well. They're their best in the MAC, I believe, as far as stopping the pass. So they're going to need their experienced guy to play big and come up big for them in this matchup, and I think he will. Hey, that definitely is a great vibey pick right there, Caden. For me, defensively, Malik Straker is a guy that we talked to at Media Days. Here's why I'm taking Strake. Redshirt freshman Javante Mackey announced that he was going into the transfer portal and he's not expected to play in this game. Straker's a senior. He's had a great year, almost 80 tackles, has a couple of interceptions. Kane, with Mackey out, I think Straker steps up in a big way. He's had three, 10 or more tackle games this year. I think he's getting his fourth in this game. And Caden, I'm going to say it. He's going to guide Arkansas State's defense to a strong showing against this Northern Illinois offense. Hey everyone, we're interrupting today's show to tell you about our recently released Prairie and Smith podcast newsletter. Subscribers will receive weekly emails when new episodes release, as well as information about the top Sunbelt football storylines that week. You can subscribe today using the link in the show notes of this episode or by clicking the link in our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter bios. It's the best way to keep up with the Sunbelt football and the Prairie and Smith podcast. Now let's get back to the rest of today's episode. Moving on, the 68 Ventures Bowl featuring South Alabama at 6-6 versus Eastern Michigan at 6-6 out of the MAC. This game played at the Jags' home, Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile, Alabama on December 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on ESPN. South Alabama appearing in a bowl game for the second straight year for the first time in program history. Still searching for their first win, 0-3 in their previous three bowl games. They're going to get a chance to pick up that win at home. A bit of an oddity this year in bowl season. Everyone remembers South Alabama losing poorly to Western Kentucky in the New Orleans Bowl last year. They've actually never faced Eastern Michigan, but 1-1 versus teams from Michigan in the last two seasons. Caden, this bowl appearance feels like a bit of a participation trophy, if we're being honest, for South Alabama. They drastically underperformed expectations this year. Many had them as a trendy New Year's Six contender. Six and six, playing at home during bowl season. It's been a frustrating season in Mobile for this group, Caden, but they've showed glimpses of greatness, but they just never put it all together. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's a combination of things. No, I think this whole entire season we've been preaching how the consistency has been the biggest issue for this team. You talk about them not being able to play their best in a timely manner this year at all from a week-to-week basis. You mentioned 
them going and beating Oklahoma State 33-7, to and that team ends up playing Texas in the Big 12 championship game. But then the next week, next week you lose to a Central Michigan team 34-30, to and that team really didn't have any hype this year and didn't do much at all. And it's the same when you look across the Sun Belt. They played their best games against the weaker opponents in the Sun Belt. They dominated and had their way against ULM and Southern Miss and Marshall to end the season. But in the biggest games when it mattered most, this team could not be consistent. And I'm not going to put that all on them. They obviously had some injuries that were huge this year. You talk about Carter Bradley getting banged up at the end of the season and even him individually. I hate to admit it, but Carter did regress a little bit this year. He just wasn't able to match his numbers. 28 touchdowns last year, 19 this year, 1,000 less yards. And he was sacked a lot more as well this year, too. They didn't do a great job of protecting him, and it felt like he was kind of stranded by himself when you look at the season he had this year. You also look at the huge loss early in the season to Devin Boyce and a guy who led this team in receiving last year is not there. Colin Lacey was obviously able, able to step up to the plate and do his part as far as being the number one wideout. But we're accustomed to seeing multiple wideouts on this team be able to do their thing, but it was a little bit more of a one-man show. And even a guy like Braylon McReynolds, a guy we had a hype about heading into the season, I was very strongly about him having a strong sophomore year, missed the majority of the season as well. So I think the pairing of injuries and just consistency in this team, not being able to play its best when it mattered most against the best opponents ultimately led to the season they had this year. It's a tough pill to swallow just given how old this team is and looking that looking like they're not going to be able to really kind of make do on this next year and get a second opportunity on this golden opportunity they had this season. But hopefully in this bowl game, they'll be able to show that they can be a consistent force against a team that, let's just be honest, they're a little bit more talented from a top-to-bottom roster standpoint. Yeah, and Caden, I think to your point, this is clearly an opportunity for South Alabama to give some young players some experience. They are going to have to replace a lot of positions heading into next season. This gives Kane Walmack and staff a chance to kind of do some early, you know, scouting of his own roster to see who might be pieces for next year and heading into spring practice. Kane, this is the part of the episode where we normally talk quarterbacks, but honestly, that situation's murky at best in this game. There is some cautious optimism right now that Carter Bradley will play in this game, but then you look at EMU and Austin Smith, who has been the starter all year long. He's in the transfer portal. So, Honestly, Caden, this is the story across the board in terms of who's going to play in this game. We know LaDamian Webb is out with a toe injury. His career at South Alabama is over. He's entered his name into the NFL draft. Colin Lacey's in the transfer portal, and given the names that have been looking at him, I doubt we're seeing Colin Lacey play in this game. Caden, how do you game plan for this when you know that so many star players either won't play or probably going to be limited at best? It's a great question, Noah, and I think it's going to come down to these coaches. Between now and the bowl prep, or the, when the season ended in the bowl prep, you have to kind of start your evaluations early. We talked about in this game, it's going to be an opportunity for younger players to play and the coaches to evaluate them heading into next season. But if you want to win this bowl game, you're going to have to evaluate your talent right now and see what's going to fit you best heading into this matchup. The scheme for this team has obviously been set in stone offensive and defensively, but when it comes to not having a guy like Carter Bradley, your quarterback, some of your scheme has to be thrown out and you have to look at some of the strengths of who's going to be under center for you to start off with. You talk about a guy in Desmond Trotter who knows the system well, has been in this team for a while, but he definitely has different strengths than a guy like Carter Bradley. So if he's under center for you, lean into his strengths. We saw Gio Lopez get some reps this year as well. One of his strengths is using his legs. So you'd like to see some packages with him using his legs as well. And if you don't have LaDamian Webb, you have a trio of backs that are still good to you. You have Kentrell Bullock, Marco Lee, Braylon McReynolds. Maybe lean into those guys more, especially knowing you're not going to have a Colin Lacey. The same goes for EMU not having their starting quarterback. I think both of these teams are going to just kind of have to kind of scrap and claw and find their 
way to win in this matchup, but the best way they're going to win is be able to lean into the strengths of their players. So it's fascinating to see both of these teams kind of in different places as far as their quarterback positions, especially South Alabama with some key players, your top quarterback, potentially your top running back and top wide receiver not being in this game. It kind of goes into survival mode. But if you're a head coach, if you're a position coach, you can go into this matchup before having to go into survival mode and knowing what your best med kit is, your 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 matches to start your fire with. You're going to know what your best tools are as far as being a little bit stranded without some of your best players. The team that's going to be able to lean into those best players is going to be the one that be able is going to be able to win in this matchup, I think. Yeah, Cato, to your point, I've heard from sources around the program that if Carter Bradley can't go, expect to see Desmond Trotter as the starter, and then you'd probably see some Gio Lopez in this game. And you might say, well, he's played four games this year. Would he burn his red shirt? I actually learned something new today that the bowl game doesn't count. So it is an opportunity here for Gio Lopez in this game to get some seasoning. And I think that would play huge because he's more than likely the starter for the South Alabama Jags, barring someone coming in from the transfer portal ahead of next season. Kane, let's talk about a matchup to watch. For me, it's this Eastern Michigan offense versus this South Alabama defense. And you've talked about it, Cato. This defense for South Alabama. They've had a quietly great year, if we're being honest. They trail only teams like Troy and James Madison in most of the major defensive categories. They were a top two passing defense, a top three rushing defense, a top two total yards. They gave up the third fewest points this year. They're facing an Eastern Michigan team without a great offense, just 20 points per game. We mentioned their starting quarterback, Austin Smith, in the transfer portal. Caden, if you're South Alabama, what are the keys to making a statement in this bowl game? The keys are South Alabama just being South Alabama when it comes to a defensive side of things. And like we just talked about with some of the offensive guys that are going to be missing in this matchup, they're going to lean heavily on this defense. And I think that puts them in a great spot when you look at this EMU team they're facing. You mentioned them not having their starting quarterback in this game with him being in the portal. And even with him in the lineup, this team was only getting 20 points a game. And when you look at the South Alabama team this year, their numbers look great when you look at what they were able to do as far as limiting teams yardage and limiting team scoring they were able to do that but when you look at really in depth the games and their individual performances from a week-to-week basis it's no secret that they had their best performances against the weaker teams in the conference they shut out marshall to end the year they held southern miss to just three points they held ulm to just seven points but when you look at what they were able to do against a texas state team gave up 52 points in that much of james madison 31 points hung up on them so i think when you look at this team going up against an offense that's not only Underman, but hasn't really been living up to great expectations this year. I think they're going to be able to do what they want to do in this game, have their way and operate. It's going to be about how intense do they take it? How much of the onus do they take as far as, hey, we're the defense. We might have some guys missing on offense, but we're going to keep this team out the end zone and make it easier for them. They still have some of the best defensive players across the entire conference. When you look at guys like Ian Banks, a Jaden Voice, and a James Miller, a Trey Kaiser, they have talent all over the place. This defense should dominate this matchup. It's just going to be about can they do it? Can they have the will to win? Can they keep their focus up top heading into the week? But I think as far as a matchup standpoint, this defense has all the tools and all of the pieces on the defensive line in that linebacking core and on the secondary to really dominate this matchup, especially if there's going to be a backup quarterback playing. Yeah, I think, Caden, to your point, this South Alabama team, they've actually done a pretty good job this year beating uh, the teams that they were supposed to beat, particularly in conference this year. They just haven't had that extra level to take down some good teams. Fortunately for them, Eastern Michigan is not a great football team so far this season. Let's name some X-Factor players. Caden, I'm going to go ahead and start here with an offensive player. I'm calling my shot here. Running back Braylon McReynolds. He's my guy here because LaDamian Webb has been ruled out for this game due to a toe injury. His college career's over. He's pursuing his NFL dreams. McReynolds, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, missed most of the year after breaking his collarbone in week one. But 
He's come back in over the last four games of the regular season, 161 yards on the ground and over 100 yards receiving. He's going to be the starting runner back in this game. And Kane, he's facing an Eastern Michigan team that gives up 177 yards a game on the ground. And I think McReynolds has is going to pick up his second career 100-plus yard rushing game in this one. He's going to finish with at least one touchdown. I think he might pick up two. So I'm going with Braylon McReynolds as my X-factor offensively for South Alabama in this matchup. You know, I love that pick, Noah. I was a McReynolds Kool-Aid drinker and stirrer this offseason. I was really upset that he got hurt. And I think in a similar token, you could possibly see a breakout performance from a wide receiver, Jamal Pritchett, as well. When you talk about Colin Lacey being in the transfer portal and not being available, similar to how Damian Webb isn't in this game. He really emerged this year as that wide receiver, too, following the voice and injury. He's right behind Colin as far as yardage, six touchdowns this year as well. And you really saw him have a breakout performance and see what his full peak of his powers looks like when they had that loss against Louisiana and he was able to have 11 catches for 168 yards and two touchdowns. Just an absolute speedy receiver that I think is another one of those guys that is taking a little bit more of a backseat offensively that can take a front seat in this matchup for sure. But I think when you look at the defense, I went to the, I'm going back to the well. This is a guy that was good to me the last time I had to make an X-factor pick with South Alabama playing in a primetime game. And I'm going with Quentin Wolf on. This is his last game of his South Alabama career as a fifth-year senior, 80 tackles to lead the team this year. And what really has me picking him is his five-and-a-half sacks that also lead the team. When you look at this Eastern Michigan team, they gave up 32 sacks this season. That's been a big part of why they haven't been as effective as an offense. And I think when you look at Quinn Wolf on the type of energy and effort he plays with in this game, I think he's going to cut it loose in this game specifically with it probably being his last time he's in a Jags uniform. I expect him to send him on blitzes on third down. I expect him to be playing sideline to sideline and really making his presence felt in this game. So my defensive X factor for this matchup is going to be Quinn Wolf on. Hey, it worked for you earlier in the year. Like you said, go back to the well. If it's not broke, then you keep using it. 68 Ventures Bowl between South Alabama and Eastern Michigan, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on ESPN on December 23rd. Tune in if you want to watch a good football game. Well, that's going to do it for our Camellia and 68 Ventures Bowl previews. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Arkansas State's Jacob Bayer for joining us and to Associate AD Jerry Scott for helping make today's conversation possible. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We're actually coming back tomorrow. We'll be previewing the final Sunbelt Bowl game of the 2023 season, the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl featuring the Texas State Bobcats. Standout Ishmael Body will join us on that episode. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Farian Smith Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, do us a favor. Share this show with one or two of your friends. Help us continue to grow this show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. Thanks for spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>